you are at Founders FAQ. Answers to all the possible questions of a founder. So if you hire people who, you know, love learning, but probably don't have experience in what you need, you, you probably will have a culture of people who like are adaptive, but, you know, doing things maybe not the right way the first time. Versus if you hire a team of people who are experts in certain functions, you might have a, a, a culture of delegation where certain people own certain things, but there's very little overlap. Mm-hmm. And it's not as, as collaborative, um, but you do things. You, what you do, you may do, you know, with a voice of experience. So I think it's an immersion property of who you hire. And so really, what matters is how you hire and what you look for in people that you hire. Um, you can't. I mean, groups of people are who they are. You can't tell them how to act or think. The only things the company really controls are who you hire and you know well, how empowered do you make your employees. Welcome to Founders FAQ. Today, my guest is Sean Bryans. Sean is CEO and co-founder of Outlier. Previously, he founded Fullery, which was a leader in mobile analytics and advertising space, and it was sold to Yahoo in 2014. Sean advised some early-stage technology companies and invests in many others. Hi, Sean. Welcome to Founders FAQ. My first question is for early days of Flurry. What was the biggest challenge while scaling the company? I think that the biggest challenge is there's so much you don't know. Uh, there's so many things that you don't, problems that you've never seen before, challenges that you don't even know that you have. Uh, you, don't, you lack the experience to know how to deal with them, and it's almost a constant barrage of new challenges and new problems. <laughs> At first, it's really exciting because it's really new and everything is there. Eventually, it gets very difficult to feel like you're making forward progress because there's always a new challenge way around the corner. Um, some of them are obvious, like how do you hire your first employees? Some of them are more complicated, like how do you master the go-to-market strategy and how do you reach customers cost-effectively? Um, you have to develop skills you haven't had before, like financial management maybe or You know, marketing, sales, um, or whatever you were good at, you know, becomes important. It's just that you have to face yourself a lot of things you're probably not very good at. And then it's also really hard to deal with the constant rejection, which is the biggest problem most people are unprepared for, is that people go into starting companies believing that, you know, it's going to be fun and challenging. I think they're not ready for is the amount of rejection that you get um, constantly. And there's many people who that actually is what causes the company to fail is their inability to deal with the constant rejection and they just, you know, are not prepared for effectively managing that emotionally and, and psychologically. And it becomes difficult to proceed when everything seems like it's always falling apart at all times. So it's a, uh, It, it, that ends up being the hardest part of it. But it's, it is, like I said, it is the worst of a whole series of problems that you can't foresee or understand until you've done it. And even if you've done it before, if you're starting another company, the same thing happens. You just run into a different set of problems. It's not like you've mastered the ones before. What you do is you just get more used to the unknown and unexpected. You get much more accustomed to dealing with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And uh, like uh, while while you set up the culture, um, how do you how do you set up the 
trust, transparency, and uh, with those aspects, uh, uh, alignment to run a mission uh, with those people, your your team? Um, I feel like corporate culture is a side effect of who you hire. I don't think that you set the culture for your company. Mm-hmm. I think it's by who you decide to hire. And so, for example, depending on the kind of person you try to hire, your company may have different cultures. So if you hire people who, you know, love learning but probably don't have experience in what you need, you you probably will have a culture of people who, like, are adaptive but, you know, doing things maybe not the right way the first time versus if you hire a team of people who are, experts in certain functions, you might have a, a, a culture of delegation where certain people own certain things, but there's very little overlap mm-hmm. and it's not as, as collaborative. Um, but you do things, you, what you do, you may do, you know, with the voice of experience. So I think it's an emergent property of who you hire. And so really what matters is how you hire and what you look for in the people that you hire. Um, you can't, I mean, groups of people are who they are. You can't tell them how to act, what to think. The only things the company really controls are who you hire and, you know, how empowered do you make your employees? Do you tell them what to do? Many companies do that. They're very micromanaged. Others um, uh, will, you know, um, give everybody no guidance at all and it's chaos. Mm-hmm. And in between those two extremes, there's a lot you can do. Uh, there's also the transparency about how much you share, but those, I, I feel like 90% of the kind of culture is who you hire and the kind of person that you look for, or the kind of people you look for, and 10% of it is other things that you, mm-hmm. you can put in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, while, uh, while scaling the company, you also raised the rounds. And how do you define, like, it's all about the founder on the VC perspective and uh, on the employee perspective? It's all about the founders. Do you agree with that? And also, what's your thoughts no, about it? I don't think so. I think that mm-hmm. investors don't invest. I mean, investors invest in people, but only people in the right situations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a lot of I, uh, problems I was looking to solve in my second company here. And had I chosen a lot of them, I don't think any of the investors that I used to work with would invest in the company. I think they look for... What, what they what they loosely call founder market fit. They want you to be a good founder in a space they think you can be successful in. So case in point, I know nothing about the medical industry. Mm-hmm. I can say I'm going to start a medical startup, but honestly, it's probably not going to go very well because there's a lot of, going back to this problem, a lot of problems I'm going to learn the hard way or things that I didn't know mm-hmm. that need to happen. So that's problematic. Um, uh, the uh, mm, I think for employees, the founder matters, but what matters more usually is uh, the work. Like people don't want to just work for a charismatic person. They want to do work that they find challenging, interesting in an environment they find to be healthy. And so um, I think that a lot of the people that have come to work in my new company that worked in my old company, it isn't just because they want to work for me. It's because mm-hmm. they want to do the kind of things that my companies tend to do and work in the way that my companies like to work. So it's less about me than the kind of environments I like to create. And I think that's true of most leaders who have people who like to work for them and, and will follow them from one company to another. So I don't know if it's about the founder as much as the environment they can create and the environment that they exist within. It's a formula that's much more complicated because I, honestly, the most successful founders I know are not the most capable. 
honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the most capable people I know aren't good founders or successful. Um, there's very little correlation between your personal abilities as a founder and your success. A lot of it comes down to the market that you're in and, and luck. And um, for for the uh, first-time founders, they don't have a track record. Uh, and uh, what will be your advice for them? But you don't have a track record. That's true. But the reality is even, you know, even the second time around starting the second company after being successful the first time, all that really did for me was make it easier to get a first meeting with an investor or a first meeting with a potential hire. Um, after that, I was in the same boat as everybody else. Um, and that's good. I mean, I don't want to undercut that. Getting that first meeting can be really hard. So having it be easier is nice. But the reality is that um, the fact that you don't have a track record is not as big of a problem as you think it is. Mm-hmm. But it, the bigger problem is not the track record. It's your lack of experience. You don't understand mm-hmm. how to take a new product to market. You don't understand how to run a fundraising process with investors. You don't. There's things you haven't done before that you don't know how to do them. You may not even know that you need to do them, to be honest with you. And as a result, you're at a huge disadvantage. So I don't know that track record matters as much as the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So there's people who are early employees that started companies become big that know all those things. Mm-hmm. And they can go walk out the door and do it. And there's founders who have started multiple companies that haven't learned them and really still are, are not super effective. So I don't know that that track record matters as much. Do investors take that into account when investing in companies? A lot of it depends on whether or not you are trying to raise money um, with some traction or not. Like, in general, you want to raise money with progress. Like, you don't raise money because you need it. You raise money because you're doing well and the company is a good investment, which is a mistake most people make. They think you raise money because you need it, which is not how it works. So if you build something that has traction, that is selling or growing, um, it's easier to raise money. Um As a founder with a track record, can you raise money before you have that? Probably, but honestly, you might not want it because the terms wouldn't be very compelling. Like I said, the only difference is that a personal track record, in theory, could raise money before, um, but I don't even know it's an option that you mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep, I get it. And you exited Fleury. What would be your recommendation for founders who think to exit case from the very early days? Should they think about it from the day one? No, I think that the, thinking about exits is a very bad idea because mm-hmm. um, it's a very distracting thought. You don't, as you you know as well as I do, you don't control mm-hmm. when you you don't control how you exit. Um, companies are bought or not not sold. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not you can go public someday is more, based more on the public markets than your company. So the real question ends up being, what do you control? And what you control is building a healthy, fundamentally strong, fast-growing business. And if you focus, I find that if you focus on that, you build something that grows fast. Um, you have options. You have the option to sell. You have the option to do whatever you want. But if you don't have that, then it doesn't matter what you think about because it, it won't happen. So I, I always recommend people focus obsessively on building a really fundamentally strong business that can grow quickly. And while growing the company, fast iteration is pretty important. But sometimes founders focus on the competition rather than growing the company. What do you say about it? I don't think companies struggle with competition for years. Mm-hmm. A startup company, unless you're entering a market that's very crowded, like if you wanted to create a 
a CRM system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Salesforce doesn't make it very difficult for you to succeed unless you have some sort of unique approach. But most startup companies have either a unique approach to an old problem or a new approach to a new problem. And in those cases, competition is very rarely a problem for you. You almost always die of execution long before the competition mm-hmm. um, even matter for you. Mm-hmm. Like competition doesn't matter to get to your first 10 customers. It doesn't matter to get to your first 20. Mm-hmm. If you're a consumer app, it usually doesn't matter to get to your first thousands of users. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really matter any time that you care about in the early stages. I think founders focus on it a lot because it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. And it's easy, and it's it kind of like, you know, it's easy to get obsessed with the competition, but the reality is that you probably would do better to ignore the competition, just execute really effectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my last question is ways to reaching out to investors. How to reach out to an investor? It depends on the investor. Mm-hmm. Um, warm intros shouldn't matter, and for some investors, they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I've invested in companies that I, that just... I met on Twitter because they replied to some of my tweets. Like, I don't think warm introductions matter that much personally. I think there's a lot of investors that don't. There's other investors where they use it as part of their signal to decide is if a company can't get a warm introduction, they probably can't execute well enough to succeed. Mm-hmm. There's no standard rules. I will tell you that if you don't have a large network to get warm introductions, that relying on them is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of investors who don't require warm introductions to raise money against. So you shouldn't sit around being like, how do I, how do I get warm introductions? If you don't have them, then don't worry about it. Um, if you have them, they can help for certain investors, mm-hmm. but it's not. I mean, there's there's a, a founder I worked with. She was amazing. Um, she was very frustrated because she felt like she had to get warm introductions to raise money. She couldn't find any. And I was like, well, why don't you just stay cold? Outreach, and she she didn't even realize that was possible. And when she realized that was possible, she just tore it up and just raised money and did very well. Sean, these are all my questions. It's really nice having you at Founders FAQ and talk soon. I'll, I'll talk to you later. Thanks Bye. a lot. By the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey, whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus teams, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. You can pre-order it from foundersfaq.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.